Hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Daily Devotions with Pastor Eric. I hope that today's devotion will be a blessing to you. Either you're supplementing this with your other devotional practices or you're using this as a way to learn more about how to start your own daily devotions. If you have questions about anything that I cover or you would like more information or, or like to make additional suggestions on how to include devotions into your life, please email me at ebreynolds87 at gmail.com. We're going to start off today's devotion with a reading, uh, a, a reading of a prayer found in Valley of Vision. This one is called Christ is All. O lover to the uttermost, may I read the meltings of thy heart to me in the manger of thy birth, in the garden of thy agony, in the cross of thy suffering, in the tomb of thy resurrection, in the heaven of thy intercession. Bold in this thought, I defy my adversary, tread down his temptations, resist his schemings, renounce the world, and valiant for truth. Deepen in me a sense of my holy relationship to you, as spiritual bridegroom, as Jehovah's fellow, as sinner's friend. I think of thy glory and my vileness, thy majesty and my meanness, the beauty and my deformity, the purity and my filth, the righteousness in my iniquity. Thou hast loved me everlastingly, unchangeably. May I love thee as I am loved. Thou hast given thyself for me. May I give myself to thee. Thou hast died for me. May I live in thee. In every moment of my time, in every movement of my mind, in every pulse of my heart, may I never dally with this world in its allurements but walk by thy side listen to thy voice be clothed with thy graces and adorned with thy righteousness amen i'm going to be reading from galatians uh, 3 15 through 29 we're going to finish up galatians 3 before moving on to galatians 4 um, if you are just joining us and you can go back and and read or listen to galatians 1 through 314 and and read those passages as well so you can have a better understanding of what we're talking about today i'd really encourage you to do that Uh, if not uh we'll dig into the scripture right now brothers and sisters i'm using a human illustration no one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will now the promises were spoken to abraham and to his seed he does not say and two seeds as though referring to many but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ, my point is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God, and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, there is no longer, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. The purpose of the law, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under a sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so then we could be justified by faith. But since 
that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Thus says the Lord. We see here in the first part in 15 through 26, the promise is Christ, the seed of Abraham that would bless all of the nations of the world as promised by God in Genesis 22. Paul is pointing out that Christ was preached to Abraham just as he was preached at the fall of Adam and Eve. Christ, re Christ redeeming the world has been God's plan since before time began. The law was given to Moses for the purpose of pointing to Christ. The law informs man of God's holiness and righteousness while informing man of God's goodness. It informs man of his unholiness and unrighteousness. Indeed, man is in this natural state, uh, in his natural state, is at odds and in open rebellion against God. The law doesn't promise salvation, nor is it possible to attain righteousness through the law. The law is fulfilled in the promise, which is Jesus. The law is also guardian, and Jesus is our perfect image. The law guides us as it guided the Jews. But by no means does the law provide for us what Christ does, but it leads us to Christ. It raised up the Jews as a nanny raises up a child, but it is the mother who feeds the child. The law prepared the way for Christ and for the Israelites. But now that Christ is here, we don't need a nanny to raise us. We have, we have our bridegroom. We have the one who is feeding us. The law can still guide us as it swells up in us through the indwelling of the Spirit and work of the gospel in our lives. Looking at verses 27 through 29, the promise unites the body of Christ despite ethnicity, gender, or civil status. If we look at the law, take the Ten Commandments, more than likely you and I have broken all, if not most, of the Ten Commandments. Even if we've only broken one, Christ says we've broken them all. Let's wrestle this, let's wrestle with this here for a second. You and I have been and likely continue to be disobedient. We resist God, we rebel against God, and it is our sin that has nailed Jesus to the cross. The law reveals our inability to please God. The law reveals our natural hearts. The law should grieve us as we come to grips with the depths of our sin. Christ has clothed us with his righteousness. He is our identity. He is our rest, our salvation, our hope, and our everything. We are no longer identified by the law. We are one with Christ, the Father and the Spirit. The God of the universe indwells us as believers. He leads us, he forgives us, and sheds new mercies on us each day. Now, we don't look to the law as a measuring stick for salvation, but we look to it with gratefulness and joy. We are free from the law's constraints and its punishments. Now, our nature is no longer against God or an open rebellion against him. The law is now part of who we are as it is written on our hearts. If it's written on our hearts, that it will naturally flow out of us. So the promise was never meant to be for Israel only. Through the pro though the promise was given to Israel first, so the gospel is to go out to the world, which means we as Jesus followers are to preach the gospel everywhere in every community all around the world. 
This means everywhere from our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our country, our states, and across the globe. As we preach the gospel, the Spirit will convict the hearts of all nations, all genders, and with no regard for class or caste. How great is it to know that our God has worked in our hearts and set us aside to call his own, not because of anything he saw in us, but from his good grace and mercy. Amen. We're going to continue our reading from Calvin's little book on the Christian life. We shouldn't seek our own interests, but those that are the Lord's, and we work to promote his glory. This is great progress in the Christian life that we nearly forget ourselves. Then all matters we hold our own concerns in less esteem, that we faithfully strive to devote our energies to God and his commands. For when scripture orders us to disregard our own concerns, it eradicates from our souls the desire to possess things for ourselves, to love power, and to long for the praise of men. Moreover, it uproots our appetite for ambition, as well as our appetite for all human glory, and other more secret evils. It's, un- it's indeed fitting that the Christian consider that his entire life stands in relation to God, just as he submits all he is and does to God's judgment and decision, so also he religiously refers every intention of his mind to God. For the one who has learned to regard God in everything, he does it at the same time being drawn away from every vain thought. This is the self-denial that Christ diligently commended his disciples from the very beginning of their apprenticeship. Citing Matthew 16.24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He goes on to say, Once self-denial has occupied the heart, It crowds out the evils of pride, arrogance, and pretentiousness, as well as greed, lust, gluttony, cowardice, and everything else that is born of self-love. On the other hand, where self-denial does not reign, the worst vices thrive shamelessly, or if there is any semblance of virtue, it's corrupted by a depraved desire for glory. No man wants to freely do what is right without his renouncing himself according to God's command. Those who haven't been overcome by this sense of need for self-denial have followed virtue for the sake of praise. Moreover, many philosophers, being overcome with arrogance, have recommended seeking virtue for its own sake. They recommended seeking virtue only for the sake of pride. Yet God isn't pleased with those who strive after fleeting praise. He isn't pleased with those who have puffed up hearts and who manifest to others that they, are rec- that they have received their reward in this life. Prostitutes and tax collectors are nearer to the kingdom of heaven than such people. Jesus said to them, citing Matthew 21, 31-32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the heaven of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Going on to say, nevertheless, we still need to understand clearly the nature of the obstacles that hinder a man when he does not deny himself from walking the right path. For rightly it has been said, there is a world of vices hidden in the soul of men. You won't find any proper remedy to such vices other than to deny yourself to disregard your own ambitions, and to stretch your mind to seek wholly those things that the Lord requires of you, and to seek them because they are pleasing to him. 
And that concludes our reading of Calvin today, and I will close us with prayer. Father, on this day, Good Friday, we remember the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, your Son. He became sin, and we became your righteousness, not because of anything good you found in us, but because you loved us, manifesting your glory in the Son and in us. Continue to work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, draw us near to you, convicting our hearts, comforting us in our sorrow, and bring us joy as we rest in the Father's mercy. We thank you, Jesus, for being our suffering servant, our triumphant King, and our endless mediator. You are, our, you are due all of our glory and all of our praise. Let our words bring glory to your name and praise in our hearts. Be with us today as we go into the world as those who have been called and saved. Knowing that there are many you have called to salvation and we are to share your salvation with them. We seek you in all things and in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day and God bless.